I'll grab your sermon notes. If you have sermon notes in front of you, if you don't have them, raise your hand. The ushers will bring one to you. And I, I know sometimes you'll miss them. There are a couple of people here. Ushers, uh, please note where the hands are. And uh, if you're watching from home, you can just download it. You may have to minimize your screen at first to download it, but uh, it's a wonderful tool to have. And uh, what I want to do in the next few minutes is I just want to walk through a, um, a topic that I really appreciate a lot. Uh, the, uh, the goal of, the, of this teaching is to uh, give you a clear vision of how God wants to prosper your life. And I'm going to quickly review where we've been. Uh, and uh, I think everybody's got sermon notes. Is that right? If so, then let's get to it. Uh, repeat the topic with me, please. Say prospering with the right attitude. Attitude is, in my opinion, crucial to your success. I've always told my kids that success is tied to your attitude. When they, go, when they would go to school or when they start their day, I would always say, watch what you say, watch your tone. I'm not, I want you to be passionate, but I want you to be respectful. And so there are times when I would simply say to them, attitude is the key to success, and I would make them repeat it. So say it with me, please. Attitude is the key to success. No, not you. That's what I tell my kids, right? <laughs> attitude is the key to success. Thank you, man. And it is. In a lot of circumstances, my attitude wins. If I'm treated unfairly, if I'm in an awkward moment, it's my attitude. I choose to win this moment. As bad as it may be, as awkward as it may be, as unfair as it may be to me, I choose to win this moment. Can you say that with me, please? Come on, say, I choose. I choose. Come on, say, I choose, I choose. To, win this moment. to win this moment. I choose to win this moment. I choose to win this moment. Nobody's going to control this moment for me. I choose to win this moment. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm like the eye of the tiger when I get to that moment because I realize like, I'm in a bad place, I'm in a bad moment. And I'm clear, I mean, I'm, I'm really clear, I think, Defensively, offensively, I think all that way. I mean, I'm really aware. I'm not the guy who doesn't pay attention. But in, at the end of the day, I understand that my attitude affects everything, especially when it comes to the area of my prosperity. Now, I want to give you a broader definition for prosperity, and I did that last week, but let me do it again. Uh, prosperity simply means doing well. In our first sermon in this series, I talked about that. It just means... I'm doing well, and that's defined differently by different people. Some people, doing well is a big house, but some people doing well is just a house. Some people it's an apartment, some people it's a car, sometimes it's a Mercedes. It depends on what doing well means to you. But feeling like you're doing well is what God's interested in for you. But he wants to broaden your definition of it beyond yourself. And that's my goal in this series. I want you to prosper beyond you, which means the ultimate goal of your prosperity, the purpose for your prosperity, which is our theme word for the year, right? Purpose, what is your purpose, why are you here? It's not just so you can have more stuff, but so that you can be an influence in the world you live in. So you can have an impact. And so having said that, let me review if I can. There are four sermons in this series. One I have not preached yet, three, two I have. The attitude one is the day. Let's go back and review if we can the first sermon in the series. Prospering for a purpose. Say that with me, please, come on. Prospering for a purpose. 
In that sermon, I talked about God prospers people who unite. They were all in one place, Acts chapter 2, and they were all in one accord, and God prospered and grew the church. But they had to be united. And I went through this whole thing about families. And if families are united, it leads to prosperity and blessing. If they're not, it hinders it. Number two, I talked about prospering in the right season. Say that with me, please. Go on. And that was last week. And this is this, this was the question last week. Is this the best season for God to prosper you? Or should he wait? Should he wait a year or two? Should he wait until you change your attitude? Should he wait? Now, if you go back, I gave you a more expanded summary of the first sermon, which was this. If you remember, I asked the question, the big thought was, are you united and prospering on purpose in a way that will help the next generation? That was the big question I asked in the first sermon because I was linking your prosperity to the next generation. What I do in this church right now affects the future. I'll expand on that in a moment. I went through this discussion in the first sermon about how for 27 years they lived in struggle. In Acts chapter 2, which was AD 30, there was a bunch of Christians struggling and it was several thousand of them that came to Christ. Acts chapter 2 describes this great harvest of people. 3,000 people came to God. Later on, 4,000. Thousands of people were coming to Christ. When you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8 through 9, you're in AD 57. So say AD 30. AD 30. AD 57. AD 57. 27-year span. And Acts chapter 2, in AD 30, they were struggling financially. Paul, Peter said it well in chapter 3, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given unto you. There's this real trouble. Matter of fact, in chapter 4 of Acts, they had to share their resources. They were struggling so badly. I understand those days. Those days are nothing to be ashamed of. And I want to be very clear. What I'm about to say is in no way a reflection of a lack of love and appreciation for the poor. Paul said it well in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. I put in your sermon notes, look at verse 10 in bold print. The only additional thing they asked was that we do what? Remember the poor. Paul was very committed to the poor. The comments I'm making are in no way a reflection of not respecting the poor, but I want you to note that from AD 30 when they struggled, 27 years later in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 through 9, they are still struggling. And my question to you was, how long will you struggle? Fair question. Will it be 27 more years? Did they have to struggle? You can argue. Economy was bad, you can argue. But here's the truth. They had thousands of people. And they did a good job. They pooled resources. They helped each other. They did a good job. I'm not, con I'm not condemning them. I just want you to see how long it can last. And so I'm not asking about everybody else in the room. I'm only asking about you. Will you be struggling for 27 more years? Are you going to be the one helping people or needing help 27 years from now? That's the only question I want you to think about. It happened to Christians for a long time. That's the only point. That's the only thing I said. Second sermon, expanding on that for a moment again. My big question was, would it be wise for God to prosper you in this season of your life? 
would it be smart? Then I asked this important question because this question to me capsulizes something that just makes you think. Is the now Ricky, look up here please, the now Ricky standing in this spot right now, being fair to the what? Future Ricky. Okay, so I don't sleep now, stay awake, work long hours, get three hours of sleep. In a year, is that fair to the future, Ricky? There's certain things I love to eat. I do. But is it fair? In a year, two years, three years, is it fair? Am I condemning myself to a life of being immobile because I refuse now to deal with myself. Which brings me to the third sermon in the series. In order for all that to change, my attitude must change. See, prosperity is tied to my attitude. If my attitude is I don't care, I know how I feel now. I'll do what I want to do now. So you do what you want to do now. But please understand you're being mean to the future you. Not me, you. You hurt yourself. And generally you hurt anyone connected to you. The people who have to care for you, the people, I'm not putting on anybody who needs care. If you're home watching and this and you're homebound, I am not saying you need to feel bad. I'm simply saying you could help all these people in this room and all those who are watching, streaming in or live, are on demand, wherever you're watching it, you can, you can say, he's right. I was not kind to myself. I smoked now and I felt great. Every puff gave me a sense of euphoric glory, but in the future. In the future, when I cannot breathe, in the future, I've known good people who smoke, who regretted smoking. Their life has been limited because they're being, if every puff, you're being mean to the future you. And that's not just me, it's on the side of the package. <laughs> Let me stress this to the third sermon, which is where we are today. And I want to talk from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, because this is one of the verses that I think creates in some people a wrong attitude towards prosperity, towards money. It, it's, a, it's a very um, simple verse, but it can be misunderstood. And here's what it says. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Pause. Most people, if they're not careful, will read the first part of that verse and they'll misunderstand it, and it will create a wrong attitude. They think this verse is saying, if you have appreciation for money, if you have a strong desire to improve your financial situation, if in your mind you're not doing well at this income level, it is wrong for you to want more. You should be content with what you have and settle. I have learned that a lot of us have a problem with this whole conversation, and I see it in people in business, 
And what I hate to hear a businessman say is, I'm not in this for money. Really? Close it down then, dude, do something else. If you're, I'm not, I mean, if you're not trying to make money, that's not your goal. I, I, I see pastors, I'm guilty of it at times, you know, you're raising an offering and you act like you're not. You apologize. And there's a whole lot of guilt that is associated with money that's unhealthy. It's an unhealthy attitude. It's an unhealthy attitude for a business person to not be trying to improve the business. It's an unhealthy attitude for a business person to not want to profit. It's unhealthy. I mean, it's, it, it, it shows. It, 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 I see it in churches when I go to their restrooms and when I look at their floors and when I look at it, like, do you care? Does anybody care? Sitting in all broken down chairs, things are all ripped up, carpet, it's horrible. It's like, come on, people. Do you care? Well, it, let me tell you what happens. Then people say, well, we're not a, we're not a business. We're, we're a church. I wonder, what is that? We're doing kingdom business, right? Amen. Come on, can you say kingdom business? How about saying it with power? Come on, say kingdom business. Kingdom. And if you're doing kingdom business, you need kingdom money. You need kingdom resources. You need the ability to do things. You can't just desire it. But it starts with your attitude. And I, I think that if you raise a church that has a healthy attitude towards money and a healthy attitude towards prosperity, number one, they don't pick on you and you don't have to pick on them. It's, 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 we just kind of get it. And there are families like this. There are families who get it. That's why they get up and go to work. They're not lazy people. They get up and they try, and you'll see more of that in a minute. But let me, if I can, ask you today's big question. How do you balance seeking prosperity for you and the love for money? How do you balance it? Okay, hear it again. How do you balance seeking prosperity for your life and the love of money? So am I loving money too much when I am seeking to improve myself? And there are a lot of people that are confused by that. <laughs> Excuse me. Let me show you five myths about money and prosperity, and uh, these myths will kind of help clarify some of this. The first myth is that prospering and having money brings evil into your life. Can you say that myth with me, please? Come on. Prospering and having money brings evil into your life. And so you fear it. Without knowing it, you fear it. You, you have this thing, and you can tell because when you get it, like this time of year when you, when you get your tax return, the first thing that comes to your mind is, how am I going to spend it? As, and some of you can't wait to get your money. You go to one of these places that give you it in advance, and they get a slice of your return. And, and, and it's amazing how it literally, it's, it's like it burns our pockets. We feel guilty with it. There's a difference between making money and having money. Can we say that, please? Say making money, making money. and having money. Yeah. So a lot of us make money. A lot of churches make money. They receive good offerings, but they don't have assets. They don't have resources. And so they can't send missionaries anywhere. So they can't do anything for young people. They, they don't have buses. They don't have full-time staff. That's why churches are disorganized. You know, the reason that God established the whole tithing principle was to provide for the priest to be there full time, to take care of all the spiritual needs of the people. There are a lot of pastors that I know that are physically and emotionally burned out because they're trying to do everything on, on their own. I was, um, I, I, I just, I'll just say this, this is just a thought. I, I did not know 
that a judge normally has one or two staff people, two, sometimes three, doesn't have a large staff, not like you think he would need to handle 3,500 cases. And it's because we won't fund that, from what I understand. Now, I'm not saying, you know, they need 50 people. I'm just making a point. So the system is slow, but it's slow because we invest the way we invest. You want the system to be faster, you have to provide the resources to make it faster. You want a singles, you want a young singles, you want an older singles, you want a men's ministry, you want a youth ministry, you want, you want, you want, you want. Well, who's going to do that? Because you're working all day. Tell your neighbor, say, that's right, I am at work. Come on, tell them. Say, I know I'm at work. I can't, I, I can't go to church all day. Who's going to clean the carpets? Who's going to do the floors? Who's going to cut the grass? Tell you what, let's start a grass cutting committee. <laughs> Bring your lawnmower on Saturday. We're going to cut the church grass. All in favor? <laughs> Some of you say, you haven't seen the church grass. <laughs> it's acres and acres of land out there. It's true. And, and it's, it's, so God designed the system that's funded through tithes and offerings and special events. For example, when they built special things, they had special fundraising. When they built the tabernacle, they had special, this is just a one-time, let's build the tabernacle offering. So God's way was designed to provide so that you could make sure things were provided for. It doesn't bring evil unless you bring, you allow it to become elevated to a level that's unhealthy, and then you'll see the truth. So you see myth one, truth one. You see that? First myth is prospering and having money brings evil into your life. No. The love of money is the root of all evil, it says. It's when I, when I put money in a place that it's not supposed to be. If I put it in the right place, it helps me do all the things you see being done here. But if I put it in the wrong place and it becomes the priority, it, it's what I talk about, think about all the time. And I'll tell you what makes you talk about it and think about it because you don't have enough. If you have enough, your mind can potentially think about something else. But when you don't have enough, and in some cases, what I believe, just to be really fair here, sometimes we overtax the tithe dollar. We create a church that's too expensive. We create a climate where we overbuild, we overdo, and I think you have to draw lines. That's why you see in our church we have something called PSVs, Professional Servant Volunteers. We're asking people, when you have time, come and volunteer. And during the day, the other day, I walked around the offices and there were a ton of PSVs around. And I thanked every single one of them. Thank you for coming in to help us with data. Thank you for coming in to help us with this. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. And I, and I appreciate them because I realize that's a dollar we don't have to spend. Say amen if you hear me. Amen. So there's something that happens when you understand I can love money but not be extreme. Second myth. Prospering and having money can cause you to stray from the faith. That's a myth. That's, I'm sorry, pro, number two. Prospering and having money can cause you to stray from the faith. Just because you prosper and have money, that's going to cause you to stray from the faith. That's not true. It's not necessarily going to. It can cause you to be technically correct here. It should say prospering and having money causes you to stray. That's the myth. The word can shouldn't be in there. So I should say that's 
That is a myth. But it can if you're greedy. You with me? Greediness can pierce you with many sorrows. If, I, if I'm greedy, yeah, it can cause me to stray from the faith. If, if all I want to do is talk about money, yeah, that can get me off track. And I've seen that happen a lot in the church over the last 20 years. A lot of people went too far. You got to pay for stuff. You need to receive tithes and offerings. You got to pay for your stuff. I understand all that, but you don't need to go too far. Know where the lines are. So myth one, myth two, look at myth three. Prosperity will come without being intentional. That's a myth. Prosperity will not come unless you are intentional. If you're not intentional, if you're not unified, and if you're not committed, it will not come. It will not happen. Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 21, 5. The, pr the plans of the diligent lead to what? Profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. Running into a business deal you know nothing about. Running into stuff, investing in stuff you know nothing about. Warren Buffett was right. If you don't know anything about it, don't invest in it. Stay out of it. That's why I'm not investing in certain things. I know nothing about it. Zero. If you see me getting into plumbing and I come to your house, lock your doors. I'm about to wreck your whole house. I don't know what I'm doing. And so there's something about being clear about this. So if you could just take a step back and say, you mean I've got to be intentional? Yes, intentional. You have to intentionally plan your life, intentionally decide that you want to improve your life. You want to do well. You want to feel good about yourself. You, you have to decide that. I can't decide that for you. Our church has to decide that. Now, they accuse us already of being a rich church. I've heard that a few times from people. They say you can't join unless you got money. How many of you have heard that kind of thing before? Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Let me see. You heard that. Can't join unless you give up your W-2 form. You heard that one. Raise your hand. I don't know why that one got it. That big old loud. That's a shame. I was, yeah, I heard that one. I heard that one. I wouldn't even join that church. Anyway, here's the deal. Why don't we take this and spend in a positive way? I hereby declare that we are blessed, that we are prosperous in Jesus' name. I speak that over the lives of these members and the people who come here. I declare my faith that they'll be prosperous. Come on, raise your hand. Come on, amen, clap your hand. Father, I declare it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. <laughs> I love it. If you're going to speak it, I receive it. <laughs> Look at number uh, four. Prosperity will come, this is another myth, with, will come without having the right attitude and ambition to advance. You don't have to ask. You don't have to see. Just pray. No. I almost think, this is, this is my view, being a pastor works against a healthy prosperity attitude because the members can, can, can create for you and society a poverty-oriented way of thinking. First of all, they call us non-profits. <laughs> I'm leading a non-profit. What am I leading? Which means there ain't no extra money. So you can for years think that way. 
And so, and you can, you can feel guilty. I know guys right now who would never even ask their congregation for to tithe or give offerings. They just feel guilty about it. So the church suffers. And the community is weakened because you can't do adopt a school. You can't, you can't, they can't, they can give you a list of things they want, but we can't do, we can't, we can't fill that list. What they, what they want to do, take a couple of those pencils off of there. We can't get those. We can get four erasers. <laughs> that, that, that's what a, that a poor group. There are families that get this and they, as a family, band together. One family saw Oral Roberts on television, Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby folks, their owners, saw Oral Roberts University going out of business, literally, facing tremendous, almost bankruptcy. The dad, I think, saw it, from what I understand, on television, and the son, and their family, they had a family meeting. Son, uh, we ought to do something about that. And that, yeah, dad, we should. So you know what they did? They rode in on the prosperity wagon, they invested millions of dollars in renovation of the school, took over the board, uh, settled all the financial issues, and rescued Oral Roberts University. Come on, amen. They rescued. And Hobby Lobby has done this many times around the country. You don't even know about it. That's because as a family, they prospered, and they shared that prosperity in the kingdom. Talk is one thing, having cash is another. Amen. Come on, say amen. amen. Some of you have a lot of political viewpoints, but you are too broke to help anybody. Visa owns you. You can't buy gas. You can't drive to save somebody. You can't help anybody. You're sincere. You got a lot of opinions. You got a lot of attitudes. And when preachers lead people like that, they fear them. So they don't say anything. And I, I just think that it's important for us to have the right attitude. And I think we do. I think we've matured. I know I have. I get it. There's some things I will never do. I have a new saying. Want to hear my new saying? Come on, make me feel good. You want to hear my new saying? That's not good enough. Come on, you want to hear my new saying? Come on. Four times in my life, birds, wild birds, got loose in, in my, three in my house and one in the church. It's happened four times. And all three times, Diane left me in the garage with the birds. She did it a few weeks ago. She did. A bird got in and she just, she slammed the, it's a bird. She ran and slammed the door and was peeking out in the garage. You got him yet? So no, I don't have him. Helper, I don't have it. No, I, I'm, I'll get him. Took a while, got him out. And I don't know, while praying over the series, it came to my heart. Wild birds fly into your life, debt, depression. Certain times of the year, these things fly into your life, fly into your marriage. And you know what the Holy Spirit challenged me to do? Why don't you catch, catch the birds? Why don't you deal with one bird at a time, the debt bird? Grab that dude and lock him up. Now, what's going to happen is he's going to be in that cage saying, let me out every Christmas. <laughs> Come on, am I right about that? He's beating on the cage. Let me out. Let me out. I want to be out of here. 
Over vacation time. You'll get you. Oh, come on, let me out. All right, we want a good vacation. Now we want a good vacation. Everybody deserves a good vacation. Been paying for that vacation for three years. Get one vacation and can't go on another for three years. Amazing. All because you have allowed that wild bird to fly around in your life. Why don't you stop? This is what you should do. It's not in your notes. Write this down. You ready? Say, identify the bird. What is this wild thing that gets my wife and I arguing all the time? Me and my kids into it all the time. What's the wild bird in your life? Depressed all the time. What's triggering that? These friends, well, don't let them back in. They come to your house, don't open the door. They ring your phone, hit delete. Pause. Identify the bird, and then, here you go, say this with me, please. Say, focus on one bird at a time. Trying to deal with too many things. They say your brain was not designed for multitasking. Right. Study the brain. I'm, no, you're not. You're 30% less effective. Say one bird at a time. What I do is I have a bird a day, or a bird a minute. For the next 30 minutes, it's one bird neatening up this house, cleaning out this closet, cleaning out this drawer, organizing this closet. For one, because what happens is I feel guilty every time I think about it. It's a wild bird flying around my emotions, making me feel bad about myself. My car is dirty. It's a wild bird. And you always apologize for your car. Here's what you do. Take 30 minutes. Go down to the place that washes cars. <laughs> if you don't have any money, get $7. Drive through the place and get your car washed and get that dirty bird out of your mind. That's, right. That's one less bird flying around in your mind. If you're overweight, here's what you do. You look at that bird, say, yep, that's a bird. <laughs> that bird. <laughs> watch that bird. I have to watch that bird. Right? That bird. Let me show you. That bird. It's good today, but whoo, Jesus. And it make me so mad, I can eat one grape and it swell up. It's amazing. <laughs> one, one grape. <laughs> I just, you say, what's that? This called, I hear tell y'all what that's called. It's not with a G. has an A and an S in it. But anyway, but it's just, you know, it's just. <laughs> and somebody always. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I can do you. Come up here. Come up here. I can't do nobody else. I can only do you. You, you cool with it. Come on, baby. You got a good look. You're looking good, boy. You're looking good. People, people always do this. Oh, turn around. Basically. Hold the mic for me. What they do? They say, oh, hey, Pastor Rick. How you doing? I said, what in the world? <laughs> Sit down. Thanks, man. <laughs> you know what I say? It's a grape. It's a grape. 
Where was I in the sermon? I don't even know where I was. The bird, yeah. So that bird, <laughs> that bird be flying around your mind, you know, so do something. Come on, say one bird, one bird. At, a at a time. But here's what has to happen. See, here, it's not going to happen without you having the right attitude and the right ambition. Which is back to myth number four. <clears throat> here's the truth. Ask and it, read it with me, please. Come on. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. There's something about understanding that nothing's going to happen unless I knock and I ask. Here's a, here's a big statement, verse 8. Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. For everyone, 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 Ricky, Sam, John, Susie, everyone who asks receives. And he, everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, it will be open. Here's the issue. You're not trying. Not really. And it will not come. You will not do well. You're not going to feel better until you honestly and aggressively deal with it. I pray at every meal. I, I'm, I'm thinking about it. You know, I, I'm thinking, I'm conscious, I'm aware, I, I get it. Go to sleep, Temple. You're up too late. You're up too late. You and your wife would have an argument. It's 12 o'clock. Look, look at the clock. Oh, it's 1 o'clock. That's why you argue. Your body is tired. Nobody cares about anything. Go to bed. End this conversation. Stop waking people up at 4 o'clock in the morning to talk to them. They, can't, they don't hear anything you say. I know Diane doesn't hear anything. She said, it's all right. Whatever you say, it's all good. Amen. Can I sleep now? Do you believe in asking? Now, I switched the order in my notes. Do you believe in asking? Do you believe in knocking? Do you believe in seeking? Asking, seeking, knocking. Say it with me, please. Come on. Asking, seeking, knocking. There's something about asking. Lord, I want you to prosper me. I want you to help me get past this financial place. I want you to, I want you to fix this bird just flying wild in my mind and taking, up, taking over my mind and my life. Father, help me in Jesus' name. I'm tired of this every day. I'm tired of this. I'm not gonna, I, I don't want to live under the pressure and the burden. You get frustrated. You get tired of it. The average pastor lasts five years in this job. Five years. I've been here for 35 years. I should be really crazy several times over. But you know how you last? You ask for help. You try not to do it all by yourself, and you get really honest. Some of you need to pause. You're not, you're, you're not really trying to be free. I want our church to really be free. I want us to really have the power to focus on helping other people. But we have to have a healthy attitude towards this area of our life. All of us. All of us. Last myth, and I'm done. Prosperity is someone else's responsibility in your life. Really? Oh, it's somebody else's job. Here's what the Bible said, though. Here's the truth, Galatians 6 and 7. Whatsoever you sow, that's what you reap. Whatever overcome by faith sows, Whatever we plant, whatever we grow together, whatever we decide to do as a church, if we make the decision, we're not going to be those kind of people. I'm not going to be a pastor manipulating you and trying to abuse you. I'm not. I'm going to be an honest guy. There's something about sowing in people that changes them. I, I want to say thank you. They, they do twice a year. They, they, they have cards and give me an offering and say thank you for being our pastor for my birthday and for my annual appreciation. I thank you for it. Uh, now, I can lie and say it doesn't matter to me. And I'd be lying. You know how you are with your kids? You know your kids, you raise them and they don't even give you a card and say thank you? 
You tell them, say, this is my birthday, right? You try to tell them, right? In our church, we have what I call a transparent, transparent partnership. Say that with me, please. Come on. Transparent partnership. You see in these churches where the pastor's going off on his own. He's not, you know, you don't know where he is, what he's doing, and when he's coming back. You know, he's doing missions, but you're not doing missions. He's, he's raising up, he's doing his own thing. And I think, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to be family. I want to love you. I want you to love me. I want to feel like, and I thank you. I thank all of you. I thank you for what you do for me. You're kind to me. You pay me well. You're kind. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. And I think I need to be as kind to you. So I'm trying to say there's something about sowing. If I sow, I should reap. And we as a group should say, we don't have those problems because we didn't sow those seeds. We don't have those fights in our church because we don't sow those seeds. We don't have leaders chasing after women that we know about (laughs) up in here and everybody's ignoring it. Not here, but we'll hunt you down, brother. Well, no, and sister. Come on, amen. I mean that. We don't have that. And that's not because we're better than anybody. That's because we don't sow those seeds. Second Thessalonians gives us a great balance. He warns that there are people, though, who don't get it. They walk disorderly among you, he calls it. He said in 2, Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, Paul says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. This is pretty strong. Don't fellowship with people who walk like this. And do not walk according to the tradition. Big word. Underline that word. Tradition. Say that word. Come on. Tradition. That's worth a whole sermon, which he receives from us. See, you create traditions in your ministry, prosperity traditions, poverty traditions, mindset traditions, tithing traditions. It's a tradition. We honor God. I make a dollar. I give God 10 cents. He wants that to be a tradition in your life. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Now, what does the word disorderly mean? It means this. It means to be rebellious, it means to be lazy, it means to be undisciplined. Say those three, come on. Rebellious, lazy, and undisciplined. Say them again, come on. Rebellious, lazy, undisciplined. He warns them about those who want to have what he calls a free ride, basically. Verse 8, here's what he says. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. But what do we do? Worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Skip down to the bow print there. If anyone will not work, verse 10, neither shall he do what? Eat. Pretty strong. Some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Now, I want to I paint a picture. <laughs> and he said something that's so incredible. He says, um, your job in verse 13 is not to grow weary and well-doing. Don't get tired. Do what's right. But there's some people who won't do what's right. Here's what happens. And this is how I'm normally approached. Hey, Pastor, look, man, can I, I, I got, got a problem, you know. Um, let me preface this because I'm getting trouble when I say this. Let me preface it. I'm generous. I put my generosity against yours any day. I meet you in the street and compare. I am generous. I give to the poor. I give to the hungry. I'm feeding hungry children around the world. I do it on a monthly basis. I'm committed. Okay? I'm totally, totally, I'm committed. I'm a tither, been a tither for years. Okay, all that. Now, having said that, here's what I get. Hey, man, uh, I've got a little trouble. Uh, I need you to help me out. Okay, 
find out. So I'm not care. But here's what's in my mind. What happened? Is this, is this a problem because you have the wrong attitude? Is this, is this created because you are not working or trying to improve yourself? See, I want you to understand, I get that everybody doesn't, for example, let's say you're a housewife, I get that you may be home with the kids, but I think you should be an awesome housewife if you're home. Amen. House should be clean, food should be cooked, things should be right and tight. Amen. If you're a brother home, I believe, and Diane, I'm telling you, when I stay home and you working, baby, <laughs> here's what I promise you, the house will be clean, I'll be shaking your head. No, what you shaking your head? No, I'm, I'm trying to stay in the spirit. Stop looking over there. Get me out of the spirit. Yeah, <laughs> nah, you working, buddy. You working. But if I was home, I would do everything. You would, you would, you would feel my, you would feel my, my home. And you know they say that's about worth forty-five thousand dollars a year. There's, you can look it up. There's, there's a powerful value. All you gotta do is. I've hired, I've hired these people before, so I know you hire a cook. I've had a cook, so I know what it costs. A housekeeper, I've had housekeepers, so I know what they cost. You, you get somebody to do all that and transportation. You have those three jobs, you'll see $45,000. Some of your wives at home saying, oh, I'm a check, boy. <laughs> Heard the pastor, I want my money, okay? Pay me my money. It's an honorable, honorable profession. But here's what I want to, I and I'm done when I say this. Some, some, Paul was writing and saying, the problem, though, is some of us, have an attitude that's basically become lazy. And we use spiritual language to do it. Some pastors are like that. I tell some pastors, if your church is not taking enough money to pay you, go work on, an, on another job. That'd be two jobs, but that's okay. Go work on another job. Don't sit there and let your family suffer because you're in full-time ministry. Let me be clear. Ricky Temple's not doing that. All right. that God gives no honor out of my, my wife uh, not having gas money and stuck on the side of the road because she's waiting on me to give her gas money. Diane would not let that happen to her. Diane would say, uh, you may not have gas, <laughs> but sister will have gas in her car. Oh, she meant that. She don't have to ride in a fancy car and, 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 and not be able to get around. Diane would say, no, 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 no. And I, I, I love the church. I love working here. I love what God's done. I love all these years. But I want you to be very clear. God wants to do well. And I want you to do well. I want us to do well. So we can go in the world and do well. Amen. Come on, say amen. Come on, say amen, church, if you hear what I'm saying to you. Next week, I'll talk about prospering to change my world. I'll do three sermons. I'll talk about changing my life. Come on, say with me. Changing, changing my life, changing my family, changing my and changing my ability to touch others. So I'm going to extend this three sermons more, and I'm going to talk about how your prosperity can change your life. You've got to change your life, not somebody else. And so next week, I'm going to help you be a little bit selfish. And I'm, I'm going to talk about how you can change your life. Now, I'm going to give you a verse. I didn't give you the read-ahead verse. You ready? Write this down. It's not in your notes. Read-ahead verse, Joshua 24. Joshua said, as for me, I don't know what everybody else is going to do, but as for me, I don't know who else is going to be blessed, but as for me, 
I don't know who else going to serve God, but as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we will, Galatians chapter 6, next read ahead verse, Galatians 6, 6 through 10, we will sow the seeds that will get us there. Because I understand what he said. Lord, today we thank you for the word and all that's been said. We leave this place today with confidence. Our hearts and our minds are fixed. We're clear. We are not confused. Our attitudes have to be clear. Ask, seek, knock. We cannot blame others. We must honor you. So we lift our hands to you as a time of surrender. Lift those hands up high. We lift those hands up to you. And we come to you, God, declaring that we are not going to be those who don't honor you. We bring our tithes, our offerings today, honoring you, our family. As for me and my house, we will tithe. We will honor you. We will serve you. We will volunteer. We will give. We will pray. In the name of Jesus, we'll be your hand. We will be your hand to touch the world. Not just locally, but around the world. And so we band together as a people with the vision to make a difference. Whether we're home streaming in or in the building live, we declare it today. We declare it in Jesus' name. Would you say this prayer? Say, Lord. Prosper me. Now I want you to look at your pastor. But keep your hands up. Look at me. Look at me. When my money's not right, that's the prayer I pray. Every time I pray it and knock, seek, and ask, those two together, I pray the prayer that I knock, seek, and ask. He always blesses me. <laughs> One time I was so scared I prayed that prayer. Keep your hands up. I prayed that prayer. And before I finished the prayer, I got a text message, a nice one, a blessed one. He answered the prayer when I finished. I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. And it was double what I asked for. Come on, say amen. amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap. You hear what I'm saying, please? So here's what I pray. Father, I pray for your people today. Prosper their minds, their hearts, their vision. Give them, oh God, the courage to ask for you to make their life well. Well enough, not only to prosper them, but to touch others. And so we give you all the praise and all the glory. Now every hand down, every head bowed. Father, I pray for people today. We don't know your Savior. They don't know Jesus, but they want to start a life with God. Today they know that I'm not really serving God. I, I need to serve him, Pastor. And I need this prayer right now. I need this prayer as a moment when I say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I need you, Lord God, more than I've ever needed you. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my past. Help me start a new life today. If you're here today, and you'd say you want to start a life with Jesus, I want you right now. I want you right now, if you would, please. 
every head bowed, every eye closed, home are, are here. Raise your hand. Say, yeah, that's me. That prayer was for me. I want to give Jesus my life. That prayer was my, my prayer. Just raise your hand. So I would say, that's my prayer. I need Jesus in my life, Pastor. What you said about serving God. Father, we pray for those whose hands are, whose hearts are lifted. We pray for those whose minds are fixed and who get it, who connect it with that truth. We bless those who are home today who have that same desire. And now we leave with faith, trusting you today. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. amen. Well, you glad you came? I hope you are. I hope you had a good time. I hope we blessed you. I hope it helped you.